1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 1. After the service, um, we've got ice cream, so don't run off. Free ice cream. It's not a fundraiser or anything. Free ice cream. Mike appreciates all tips. How to sharpen a saw blade, whatever kind of tip you might have for him. All right, verse 1. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. That's who the author is. That's who the writer is. Um, they're together. Now, I avoided saying to be because if you, can, if you look in your text there, the word to be or those two words are italicized, which means they're not in the original text. They thought that would help make it clearer. And we're going to do that again. I've crossed them out of my Bible. Um, it's not sacrilege to do that um, because it's not in the original language. It's not a word-for-word translation. They threw that in there because it's the word to be um, they thought would help. Well, I don't think it does. Um, Paul was called an apostle, flat out. And God calls us to ministries and calls us to do things, and then he equips us to do those things. And so it's not about trying which is what that indicates, to be. You're called to be an apostle. You better look like one. You better try like one. You know, you're called to be a whatever. No, Paul was called an apostle. Later on, we're going to see that we're called saints. And that's a given. Whether you look like one or not, Jesus still calls you a saint. And so to take those two words out, I think, is more important and makes it more clear. And so I've taken the liberty of crossing them out, um, but that's up to you what you do. But let's read it that way. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. The will of God for Paul was that he be an apostle. He wanted him to be one who was sent by Jesus to go start these churches, to minister to the Gentiles and to the Jews at times, but mostly to the Gentiles. And so he called him to that. Now he's writing to the Corinthian church. Um, If you remember from Acts 18... That's where Paul was in the Corinthian, uh, you know, uh, ministering to them, uh, beginning his ministry there, um, and ran into some problems there to the to the point where this guy named Sosthenes tried to get him in trouble. If you want to turn there, Acts eighteen, beginning in verse fourteen, it's just a a few pages back to your left. We'll read how it ended up. We won't read the whole story, but just how it ended. After he had gotten taken to this uh, Galio, who's a pro-council of Achaia, to get him in trouble, um, the guy comes up with this solution, verse 14, and when Paul was about to open his mouth, he was going to defend himself. All the charges had been filed. Galio, or Galio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, There would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. Sosthenes. Sosthenes thought it would be a good idea to get this Paul arrested, get this Paul out, of the, Paul out of the country, or get him, you know, put in prison. And it turns out he gets beat. I love the irony. 
personally. But what I love more is that this guy who was the biggest loudmouth against Paul, the biggest antagonist for Paul in the city, becomes his uh, partner in the ministry, becomes a brother in the Lord because of it. I think that's important before we go any further to remember that. Some of the loudmouths in our lives, some of the biggest opponents to Christianity in this world are so because they're being touched so much so by the Holy Spirit. They're so close. A lot of times when people are loud about how they hate Christianity or hate what we believe, I'd like to just kind of write them off and say, well, I'm not the one in trouble. Looks like you're going to have to figure this out on your own because I tried. I like to go for the people that are crying, that are weeping, that are broken. And that's true. That's a field that's ripe for harvest. Um, but I have to remember the other side of things. Some, some you save with gentleness. Some you save, you know, with gentle words. Others you snatch out of the fire. That's kind of Sosthenes. So watch out for those folks that are throwing rocks at you. They're probably prime candidates for conversion. You might want to minister just one more time to them. Duck and minister. That could be a t-shirt, I think. Duck and minister. Watch the left hook and then love on them. Sosthenes gets saved. After he got beat down by the very people he was trying to protect, by leading this rebellion against Paul, gets beat, realizes, you know what? I don't know what he realized. I don't know. He ends up here, though, in Corinthians, as one of the, uh, with Paul, as one of the guys that's with him. Now, Corinthian, the church of Corinth, is in a big city, Corinth. Um, we could put the first slide up, if you will. We've got a little bit of a history lesson here. I think it helps. There it is. It's a, well, you got a sea on this side and you got a sea on this side, and they were the hub of all commerce. On the other side here is the Grecian Empire, or, you know, is, is, is uh, Athens right over here. You can't see it, it's off map. And so everything would come to this port, and because it was easier to come through this area right here, as opposed to go all the way around, sail around, it's like 400 miles to sail all the way around, or four miles to go across this little section here. They built that dotted line there, pay no attention to the water line there. Before that water line was there, they built this dotted line, which was an actual road. It was a road where they would, if they could, take the ship, if it was light enough, still loaded, grease it up, and drag it four miles and put it back in the water over here. You could go to the next slide. I think I've got a picture. That's the road. It's still there. And those are the tracks and so they dragged their boats on there. Go ahead and go to the next one. That's what it looked like. They'd pull these boats, you know. Hey, four miles, right? And, you know, if it's, I'm sure it cost them a little bit of money. These guys probably did. That's what they did all day. Um, not a great job, but I hope it paid well. They're probably slaves. Who knows what happened? But that's how they would do that. Well, this worked for a while, and it was that important to them. And so you had a picture this Corinth is like a huge city. Um, back then, huge city, not like New York is today or something like that, but it would be the equivalent of New York back then. Everything went through there. I mean, can you imagine the fees that you could rake in as a city, the taxes you could get, you know, the commerce as the sailors got nothing better to do but spend their money in the town and waiting for their ship to get all the way across. They'll catch up to it, you know, when it's ready to be put back in port. They got a couple days leave. This is huge. Go ahead and go to the next one. That didn't work so well, so they decided to build this canal. And it looks pretty great. This is actually what it looks like today. I'm not, I didn't give anything in there for perspective so you can see. And on those little boats, 
This would be great. Go ahead and go to the next slide. doesn't work so good today. It's a little tight. That's what it looks like. You can actually go on a river cruise. This is still here today. This is all limestone on the sides. I know this has nothing to do really with anything else, but I thought it was really cool. I got into this. I started, ooh, slide number seven, slide number 10. Anyway, that's what it looks like. Now, go ahead and do the next one. So you can bungee jump there if you wanted to. Now, I had to throw that one in there too, right? It's very biblical. I'm sure Paul bungee dumped once or twice in his life. So it's a huge destination. So that's kind of what that is. Go ahead and go to the next one. I don't even know what that is. So that's what it looks like today. You've got mainland Greece, you got over this, and that's that, that white spot over there where there's no trees, that's the city of Corinth. All commerce would go through that, and that's still here to this day, except it's more for tourists. They don't really bring the ships through that anymore, it's too, too much. Any more? Is that it? Is that my last one? I think so. Okay, thank you. So that's where Paul was in Acts 18. And now he is in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter back to them. Now, this place was super carnal. Now, there's spiritual Christians and there's carnal Christians, and some of us kind of toggle in between that sometimes. All Christians, but a carnal Christian is someone who still lives after the flesh, and is still very much ruled by the flesh. I'm, I'm kind of in a as, a, as a pastor, I know that I've got a mixed crowd, and I have to be very gentle with some, but part of me just... Part of me wants to, you know, it's, it's hard for me to find that balance sometimes. Part of me wants to make t-shirts that says, God hates cowardice. That's in Revelation. It's a book, you know, it's actually there. He hates cowards. Hates the cowardice in, in, in people. But the other side has to understand that, no, there's some that are just crawling. Some that are just working their way through this stuff. And, and you've got to find the balance of um, Boy Scouts versus Rangers, Army Rangers, you know. Um, there's a difference. The end result is you want to be the Army Ranger. Um, but you've got to start off as a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout first, but you work your way through it. Paul is trying to write back to this church because although they were started by him and although they're, they're growing and they're very super spiritual in the sense that they have a lot of gifts of the Spirit are in operation. This is the most this church has the most spiritual gifts in operation than any other church that Paul writes to. They're the most spiritual. And at the same time, they're the most carnal. Those two don't seem to go together, or we don't think they should go together, but they do. And I want to step back and look at that just for a minute. We'll go much faster through the rest of this chapter, but I want us to understand that before we get too into the forest here. The forest is very carnal. You're, you won't believe some of the stuff that they're still doing at church. I mean, we would be dumbfounded if that took place at our church. We'd be all on the floor, wouldn't believe it. And yet they're operating in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit prolifically. And so that puts to rest this myth that we have in our own minds that the holier I am, the more easy it is for God to use me with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not about that. Our holiness is in Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. He's given us the keys. Remember when he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom? <laughs> There's a guy that should have never been driven or drive. He should never drive, you know? But he did. Here, go for it. You've got the keys to the kingdom. He, Jesus had them, and he did great. <laughs> but then he gave them to Peter. Now you drive. 
I'm going to go to heaven now. Have a good time. Wow. And that's something that we have to get into our heads. God isn't waiting for us to become more holy so that the gifts of the Holy Spirit can flow through us easier, which we think sometimes. No, they're available right now for every one of us to use in proportion to our faith. This church is holy, or unholy. This church is carnal, excuse me. Paul wants them to be holy, but they're not. But God's using them. Now, they're using the gifts wrongly. You ever, ever get, I don't know how many of you guys got your keys and got to drive for the first time when you were 16, or, or gals when you were 16. Did you use the car rightly? I didn't. A few stories from J.D.'s past. Are you ready? My dad had a conversion van. You know what a conversion van, that's a van that doesn't haul stuff. It's got captain's chairs in it. It's a luxury vehicle with plush velvet interior. And we had one. I got that three feet off the ground. Going down a residential street, you know, that was like this. Sparks. Airborne. Launched the thing. Three feet in the air. All the guys in the back seat, nobody had their seat belts on, hit the ceiling, came back down to the ground, turned the corner, hit the curb, bent the rim, flattened the tire. That's story one. I didn't use the keys rightly. My dad doesn't know that to this day. He doesn't listen to the CDs anymore, so I'm, I'm okay to share that now. I owe him a lot of money. I don't know what happened, Dad. The car just broke, you know. Spiritually speaking, though, um, God doesn't take those keys away from us. He lets us learn. He wants us to learn. He doesn't want us to keep using them wrongly. That's the point of the letter, the letter here that Paul's writing. You've got the keys, you're operating the gifts, but man, if you could just steer that thing in the right direction and use it for what it was intended to edify the body of Christ and not to toot your own horn. It's not a toy. It's not meant to uh, exalt you. It's not something to boast or brag about. It's meant to be used to help other people. The, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is love. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the way by which we show that love to one another. When we refuse to use the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us, we refuse to love the body of Christ around us. Some of us don't use those gifts because we've seen them abused so much on TV or in other circles. It doesn't mean they're not valid and doesn't mean they're not to be used. It just means they're supposed to be used rightly. Just because I took my dad's van and jumped it three feet doesn't mean that's what it was intended for. It was not intended for that. The way we landed, it was like a brick, you know. Not like the Dukes of Hazard at all, like I thought it would be. I love that show, the Dukes of Hazard. This has nothing to do with the Bible. But remember when we land on the other side of the bridge? And that poor car, all you, all you car buffs are like, oh, they just ruined another one. I mean, how did they go? And you see that thing land, it bends it in half, and the next scene you see it driving just pristine. You're like, no way, man. Even I knew that as I was 10 or whatever. Well, God desperately wants to see us stop wrecking it, you know, to use it properly, but use it. Use it with all of its power, with all of its abilities. Allow the power of God by the Holy Spirit to flow through us. And so that's the point of this. That's the point of this whole letter that he writes to the Corinthian church, to tell them to stop being carnal. The first thing he's going to attack here, uh, try to correct, 
is there divisions among them. That's the first thing. There's lots of things, but this is the first thing. Divisions. They were divided among who was their teacher. I am of Joe Foch. I am of Chuck Smith. I am of J.D. I don't think anybody says that. <laughs> I'm of Sandy, you know, whatever. Um, but back then it was the big names. I'm of him, I'm of that, I'm whatever. I'm the disciple of whatever. And that, you know, that's where they came from. They came from that, my rabbi is Heliel, Heliel, whatever. Um, uh, Paul's rabbi. Um, you know, they would, whoever your rabbi was, that's like saying I was from Dartmouth or I was from Yale or I was from Harvard. You know, I'm a Harvard man. That's, how, that's their pedigree. Well, they began to do that in the church. And so you'll see something here very, um, very much on purpose here. These first, um, mark down how many times he says Jesus Christ. Let's just leave it at that. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints, with all whom in every place called on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lot already. He's trying to get something across here. He makes it very universal. It's very big. Sometimes in Paul's writing, he'll say to the churches. Even Jesus does as He writes these letters in Revelation to the churches. Okay? So there are churches. There's different locations of the church, but to these guys, he takes all that out and he says, no, it's a church. And some people get hung up on that. They love the way he's, see, it's just one church. It should never say churches. No, Paul knows his audience. These guys are divided even in their body at this one city, and so he changes it. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. Your section your part of the church is at Corinth. So he doesn't say it like he does to everybody else. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. You're all called saints. Every one of you is a saint if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything extra special to become a saint. We, isn't that funny how you grew up thinking that, though? Well, the, that guy's a saint. And we use that as an expression now because some church thought it necessary to hand out and dole out the name saint as they saw fit. According to the council and the vote, we've decided you are now a saint. And they still do it to this day. It's not biblical. No, I'm a saint. You're a saint. We're all saints. We're saints because we believe in Jesus Christ, not become some extra special thing we did. Because God called, how could you even boast in that? You get saint because God called you, equipped you, and you really had nothing to do with it. It's how they ought to do that. Now you're a saint. Thanks. It's like getting a participation trophy. You know? You had nothing to do to win this. Here, put it on your shelf. Congratulations. You know? Those are the dumbest things we've ever invented. We're called saints. All of us are. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. They're all saints, not just you at Corinth. There's other people out there. There's other saints out there. They're believers. And they're just as spiritual as you are. In fact, some more so. He won't say that as much, but they are. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace was the common greeting for the Greek. Peace was the common greeting for the Jew. Remember, shalom. 
But if you're in Greece, you'd say grace. Grace would be, it means giving. And so he says both of those, grace, peace, Greek, Jew, grace, peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to understand grace before you can have that peace. If you don't have peace in your heart, you're not sure where you stand with God, you haven't fully experienced his grace then yet. You don't understand the grace. I gave you a hint at the beginning. I gave you a hint at the beginning of this, and I think that's one of the most important things we can grab from this letter. If we learn anything from the letter to the Corinth is that they are a very, very carnal church full of the Holy Spirit who is operating among them. That's grace. They didn't deserve it. They're in the, they're in the process of still not deserving it. It's not like they have a bad past. They have a bad present. And they're still being used by God, still full of the Holy Spirit. The gifts have not been revoked The callings have not been revoked. They're still in their hands. That's grace. My salvation is grace. It's been given to me. It doesn't toggle. It doesn't change based on my behavior that day or the other day or that month or that year. It's the same. My salvation is steadfast in Jesus Christ. That's grace. And when we fully understand that, we meditate on that, and we grab it, and we say, it's okay to believe that. That's the thing. I don't know if that's okay to believe that. I get worried about that. That's a little too easy. I mean, that's too, that's too awesome. So it's too much good news, you know? When you grab that, when you understand that, when we look at this letter and the facts are right there in black and white, it's in the Bible, it's not something I've made up, it's a fact that Paul is teaching that these folks are saints and they're super carnal and they're moving in the gifts of the Spirit, that's grace. That gives me peace. It gives me very much peace, a lot of it, and I hope it does to you too. And when you understand the grace and you have that peace of God, it's amazing how holiness follows. Of course we're supposed to be holy. Of course, for, of course the Corinthian church is supposed to be holy, but holiness comes from and only after grace and then peace and then holiness. Somehow we get it mixed up. We think it's the other way around. Holiness first then we'll get that grace that we've earned. Wait a minute. (laughs) Then I'll have that peace that I've so desired. If I could just conquer this one sin, then I'll have peace. Mm -mm. Nope, you've got to understand grace and then peace. And believe it or not, that's when obedience and holiness comes, after those two things. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. There it is again. And you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as a testimony, as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's eight times so far. Jesus has done all the work. He's given you everything. He's sanctified you. He's the one that's going to make sure you get to heaven in the end. He's the one that's given you all things. It's nothing to do with you. That shouldn't be a blow. That shouldn't be a blow to an ego. But it is. If it hurts, then you know you're guilty. Then you know you've 
succumb to that somehow in your life. Pride is welled up in your life. What do you mean? What do you mean? Mm -mm. Nope, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. It's still Jesus and it's still going to be Jesus. And then when we're all done with it, it's Jesus. That's the point. I love all these things he says here. To break it down, you've been enriched in everything. I thank God for the grace, for the free stuff he gave you (laughs) that you didn't earn. That's a frustration for them. I thank God for that. That's what I pray for you. I'm so thankful for the grace of God. Not that you're awesome. He's not belittling them, but he is. He's correcting He's correcting only the way the Holy Spirit, the only way God's Word, and the only way Paul can do is by saying the truth. That's all he has to say. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him. None of this was manufactured by you. None of this was practiced. None of you did this so well that you've finally been, you know, you haven't perfected it. God gave it to you. He gave you everything. He gave you all utterance. He gave you all knowledge. Anything you think you know that you learned, he gave that to you. He gave you the mind, the eyes, the ability to understand because he can close that understanding anytime he sees fit. And I've experienced that before. When I've studied, when I've looked at this passage, everybody, I know everybody's gone through this. You read through the chapter, you're like, I don't know what I just read. I, I can actually go through and read every single word, and by the time I've done, I was thinking of something completely different the whole time I read. And by the time I've done, I've wasted however long it took me. I'm not going to tell you how long it took me to read that. I've got to go back to the beginning and read it again. And maybe I'll get into three or four verses, and then my mind begins to wander, and I go through the whole chapter again. It's like, oh, come on, focus, dude. Focus. And so I pray at that time. God, would you help me understand this? Would you open my eyes to see this? Would you help me to... What are you trying to say to me? Pay attention to the conversation. And then I see it. And then I read it. And then I comprehend. That's what he's telling them. Everything that you have, all utterance, all knowledge is given. It was confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know I turned that AC down. Would you turn it back up again? Sorry. Sweating bullets here. Because I'm so guilty. So that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're looking for, right? You're waiting for him. Who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to confirm you. He's going to present you blameless. It's the same thing he said in James. God, or James said, I'm sorry, that James said. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. You were called. You were granted. You were given. Verse 10, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, there it is again, that you all speak the same thing and that, our, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfected, joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been de- declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. That's a pretty bold thing to say. Because they'd get this letter, they'd have everybody sit down, and then they'd read it to the congregation. Chloe's got to be in the crowd. But you know, Chloe's not afraid of that. I think it's important to sign your name to stuff, to own up to the accusation. 
If you're going to bring an accusation to somebody, you better be able to put your name at the bottom of it and not be ashamed of the accusation. None of this secret stuff, hey, I, don't, I didn't say this, but I just want you to know this is what's going on in their life. You should really do something about that, but you didn't hear it from me. No, I did hear it from you. I'm going to go tell them that you told me that. <gasps> you know? Chloe's not afraid of that. Neither is Paul. He's going to make sure of it. Chloe let me know about all this stuff. Then the whole crowd probably just went, you know? How awkward was that? And Chloe's like, I'm not the one with the problem here. You know, I don't know. She's probably pretty bold. That there are contentions among you. Now I say this. That each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no, no, and no to those things. When he says at the beginning here, I want you to be of the same mind, we're to have the mind of Christ. Remember who the head of the church is. He is Jesus. He's supposed to be the head. I don't have to figure it out. We don't have to have a big meeting. We don't have to have a big counseling session to get everybody on the same page. We all just have to understand that Jesus is your head, Jesus is my head, and that means collectively Jesus is our head. It's no problem. And when we pay attention to the Holy Spirit and only do what he says and not my will but only his will, we're all going to be perfectly coordinated as the body. I don't have to have a meeting with all the heads. We don't have to, there's no, there shouldn't be. There should be one head. We should all be of one mind. Don't be divided. Quit saying that. And you know when he read that, I'm of Paul. There's five people over here that said that. I'm of Paul, Apollos. Those are the ten over there. I'm of Cephas. Those are the two in the back. I'm of Christ. I don't have it to do with anybody. I'm so spiritual. I never got taught by anybody. It was just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Be careful. He calls all of those folks into error. All of them. You wouldn't think Christ would be the, that'd be the right answer, you know? You'd think that would be the right answer. That's the right answer in every Sunday school class, isn't it? What's the answer? Jesus. That's always safe. Even Bo does that sometimes. Jesus? When he doesn't know? Jesus is like my, it's like D. All of the above? Jesus? You'd think that'd be the right answer. It's not. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I did not know whether I baptized any other. And this is key. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. hope you picked up on that. Baptismal regeneration is not scriptural. It's not biblical. I did not come. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. They're two separate events. The gospel, believing on the gospel, is salvation. Baptism merely shows what's taken place already. If you were to die before you were baptized, you're fine. You're saved because you believe the gospel. The secondary thing is baptism. I, I don't even know if I baptize. That's blasphemy. If baptism is a part of your salvation and essential for salvation, that's blasphemy to say that. I'm, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. Paul. Well, he didn't send me to do that. He told me to tell you about Jesus because that's salvation. 
Now, they did baptize people. Several people got baptized. Different ways, different places, different people doing it. doesn't matter. It's simply an outward expression of an inward work of the heart. This is the end of it. The argument is ended here, but it still goes on. It still rages. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Two separate things. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. I didn't want to talk you into it. We don't want to talk people into the gospel. I have a, you know, apologetics is fine, and you do need to reason together, and God wants us to reason together. That's important. And some people have some hang-ups. That's okay. But you don't come to Jesus because of the wise words. You come to Christ because of the necessity. Because you know you're lost. Because you know you're drowning. You're dead. You're a dead man walking. You're a dead woman walking. And you need, a self, you need a Savior. That's what brings people to Christ. Not because you've intellectually reached that decision. Not because you've made a mental assent. Ah, there is no other choice. Therefore, the conclusion is, I must accept Christ today. I had to put that accent on there for some reason. I don't know. No, no, no. Not with wisdom of words. It's very simple. The message is this. You've sinned. You've become separated from God because of your sin. And you're in desperate need of a Savior. And there's no way for you to save yourself. You're going to die in your sins. Unless you receive what Jesus Christ has done for you. God sent his son to die in place of you. To be, to be your replacement on the cross. To be your surrogate. And he died. And all of your sins were transferred to him. And God's wrath was poured out on this innocent man. And made guilty. He became sin for us. And that is the solution. That is the answer. That's how you'll come to heaven. is based upon the work of God's salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what you believe in. It's not words of wisdom. A lot of people are, you'll see that happening more and more, and we're going to see a whole lot more in the next two or three years. I think you're going to be dumbfounded at the amount of watered-down Christianity. How sin is no longer sin anymore in the church. It's no longer a problem. The Corinthian church is very much like the church today. Very much like it. All sins were accepted. In fact, they boasted about the fact that they tolerated evil and sin in their churches. Oh, we just don't want to judge anybody. We want them to all come in. They're all okay. No, we don't want to call that sin. That's a lifestyle choice. No, we don't want to call that sin. That's, a, that's an addiction. No, we don't want to call that sin. That's a disease. God says otherwise. It's a very simple concept for those that have justified sin in their walk is why did Christ die then? It's a simple question you can ask people. They have to say it. A Christian who claims that sin isn't sin anymore, that's the question you ask them. Why did Christ die? That's a tough one because they have to say sin. Okay, then what sin? What is sin and what isn't sin and how do you determine that? Who makes that call? How do you know what's sin and how do you know what isn't sin? And if they say that they come up with it, hmm, there's a problem. Or if they say that, well, the Bible says it's sin, great. Now we've established our baseline, that God is the author. God is the one who says what's sin and what isn't sin. So why is the thing you're saying isn't sin? Why isn't that sin anymore, even though God says it is here? What changed? What happened? Too much cultural pressure? 
Do we grandfather that in for some reason? And if that isn't sin anymore, what's to prevent the rest of culture to dictate that all of this isn't sin? And if that's the case, if that's where we're headed with this, what's the point of Christ dying? What's the point of being a Christian? Why do you have a Savior if no one's sinned? We're all okay. We're all going to heaven anyway. Christ died in vain. Christians can't say that these things aren't sin. They can't. Otherwise, they've just nullified their own salvation. They don't believe that they need Christ anymore. There is no need for a Savior. It's very simple. The cross of Christ is powerful. It's very powerful. And Paul knows that. And he didn't want to use any of his words to reduce the power of the cross. It's powerful. The gospel is powerful. And he knows that. Verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It was a prideful thing for the Corinthian church. They wanted Christianity to be a prideful thing. They wanted it to be an ornament. They didn't want it to be an albatross. They didn't want it to look like they were dumb. I mean, that was a big thing in the Greek culture. I don't look dumb. I don't look stupid. This cross thing is a little foolish. And so they began to make it look a little better. They began to dress it up, made it look more like a a status symbol. He says, no, 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 no. The cross is foolish to the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world got us all the stuff you got delivered from. All other religions is, of course, man reaching up to God. They're starting with a finite ability, and they're trying to reach an infinite God, and it's impossible. Christianity is the only one where the infinite God reaches down to the finite being. That makes sense. Think of it this way. You've got a little handful of dirt right here, and you've got a whole, uh, you know, 20 acres out there. Every other religion in the world is like that handful of dirt trying to become that 20 acres. It's never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. No matter how long you stare at it, it can't take place. It doesn't have the ability. It's not, it doesn't have the source. It can't reproduce dirt. I'm taking real estate classes right now. I'm learning a lot about the scarcity of land and how it never loses value because there's no more being made, except for floods and so on like that, but that's the idea. You've, you've only got so much resource. You can never make it 20 acres. On the other hand, the 20 acres could very easily make itself a handful of dirt. Many handfuls of dirt. That can be done. That's the idea. Christ is the answer from heaven, the infinite God, to us, the earthly ones that have a very limited capacity, and he saved us. We can't save ourselves. And that makes sense. Oftentimes, wisdom, although looks like God's wisdom, looks like foolishness to man, is actually really very simple, very easy to understand. Of course God had to send the rescue party. Of course. 
Nobody in the life raft in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is looking into the center of the raft for help. They're always scanning the horizon. They're looking for the ship. They're ready to launch the flare. They're looking for help from someone who has more resources than they do. And yet every other religion in the world is the guys in the life raft trying to figure out how they're going to turn it into a cruise ship with food. And they can't. It's limited. And so Paul simply says that the world through wisdom did not know God. They tried, but they didn't. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And here's their two problems. For the Jews, shalom, peace, request a sign, prove it. The Greeks, grace, seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Christ was always a a suffering Christ. A crucified Christ was always a, a stumbling block for the Jews, even though they had Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and they could read those prophecies about their suffering Messiah. It was still a stumbling block. No, 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 he's a, he's a king. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to set everything right. That's the guy we're looking for, the crucified cross. I don't understand that one. They'd skip those verses. They'd skip over those entire chapters. We will Psalm 21, Psalm 23. They'd just skip it. Didn't make sense. They couldn't get it right in their head. They couldn't figure out how it applied. So they'd skip those things. We do that today. We can actually black out part. Well, hopefully we don't, but it can be done. They black out parts of the Bible because they can't. I can't see how that works. How could our God be a God of war? I don't think you see the big picture. If if your God can't be a God of war, like he's declared to be by Moses... And he is, and he proves himself strong, and he does do battle for us. On our, You don't understand the battle between good and evil on this earth and in the spiritual realm. That's the war going on all the time. Of course he's a god of war. Thank goodness that he is. What if, what if Jesus of God was a conscientious objector? Oh my goodness. We'd be in such big trouble. I just don't feel like I need to confront Satan today. I just, I'm going to... Just sit over here, oh my, you know, and watch us all get devoured and eaten. No, he stands and gets in the way and is our advocate and is for us and does battle for us. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts. But some people can't rectify that. They can't get that in their mind. They can't sit. Oh, he's just not that way. I know the flipping of the tables. He just, he just lost his temper that day. No, no, no that's who he is. We do the same thing today. No, all of it's true. He's a suffering Messiah, but he's also going to be our righteous king. Two different events. Yes, he flips over the tables, but he also sets a child in his midst. Both are very true. It's thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. I love both of them. One is a corrective tool. One is a thing to bash wolves on the head. I love both of those things. They bring me comfort. My kids love the fact that when dad's home, the house is secure. They know that, that I go through and I lock all the doors and I put all, usually, pull all the windows down, close the garage door, lock and load next to my bed. FYI. It's all there. 
And they love that. And they also love the fact that I don't let them get by with stuff too. That I'm loving and compassionate and gracious and I understand the difference between foolishness and childishness. Two different things. It takes wisdom to know those things and only God by his Holy Spirit shows me the difference between foolishness and childishness. Childishness is, they're just kids. They're just trying to figure life out. Just a dumb mistake. It happens. Everybody does that. Still childish. Still learning. Foolishness is doing it on purpose. There's a difference. They're comforted by both that, the fact that I am going to take care of any wolf, but I'm also going to make sure that they have boundaries and they're going to stay within those things for their safety and for their well-being. It's comforting to them. Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. What the? Why would Christ have to die? That doesn't make any sense. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Makes sense. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. Now, for you see your calling, brethren, They are all brethren. They are all saints. I can't emphasize that enough. Because when we read the next chapters, you're going to be like, I can't believe these guys are brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. (laughs) That's a, a backhanded compliment. God only calls the stupid. Everybody here, you're all dumb and worthless and actually have no point. How would you minister? Thanks for the encouraging words. Oh, Wednesday night was so awesome. I'm going to bring my friends next week. You know? Paul had to bring them down a notch. See, to the humble, this wouldn't be offensive. It's only offensive to the prideful. It's only to the it's only offends those who thought that they were better. Not many wise are called. Okay. Not many mighty, all right? Not many noble, okay? But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. There's a reason behind it all. Because we represent a king. And if there's any splendor, if there's any glory to be had, it's for him. It's not for us. You don't want anybody to be confused that Sandy had something to say or that Chuck had something to say or that Rawl had something to say. It's It's not about that. It's that those worthless, foolish men, including myself, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And anything they see that's good, that's worthy, they give God the glory. It's a little uncomfortable when someone looks at you and says, I know that wasn't of you. That had to be God. Thank you, I think. Bob Coy, who was the pastor down in Fort Lauderdale, shared a wonderful story. Uh, when he was called by the police to come to a situation. It was a hostage situation. A man was holding his wife at gunpoint, and he was called, and he showed up at the apartment complex. The SWAT team had already been there. They're all in place. They're all set, full gear. The hallway was full of law enforcement. 
And he said, the only one the guy wants to talk to is you, Bob. They all knew him. He's the chaplain. Of course, was the chaplain. He said, I don't, I don't even know this guy. I don't even know his name. I, said, I don't know, Bob. He just wants to talk to you. He goes, okay, all right. Um, I'll just... And he, and he began the process of talking, and they could hear it escalating in there. And he knew. He says, I have this sense that this guy has a fake gun. It's not loaded. And that he just is trying to get attention, and he just needs it. That the Holy Spirit was speaking to him that that's the case. But he didn't say it out loud. And as he walks up to the door, SWAT could hear it escalating. They shoved him back, Bob, against the wall to where his glasses fell off his face like a nerd. They busted in, shot the guy, pop, pop, pop. And saved the lady. They found out the gun was a fake. It wasn't loaded. I mean, it's just a prop, is the idea. And Bob says, I've never felt the same. He just wept because he knew better. He knew he was supposed to say something. He didn't say it because there's a lot of testosterone in that. There's a lot of serious, there's a lot of things at stake. There's lives at stake. He doubted the fact that the Holy Spirit had showed him that, and he didn't say anything out loud. Now, the point of the story is this. Nothing to do with Bob and his ability or inability to say what he needed to say at the right time. I tell you what, I don't know if I would have. The point is, this dumb, weak, little, tiny nerd pastor over there had way more information than everybody else did. And the foolishness was the wisdom of God given to the weak and someone who didn't know any better, but if he just said something out loud, might have changed that whole situation. They were believers. The SWAT team are believers. The cops knew who Bob was. He's the guy. They would have respected his decision. He said this. This is his story, not mine. But I didn't say it, he said. I didn't say what I was supposed to say, and it's never, never set well with him, obviously. You can imagine. You may be little. I may be little. Foolish, nerdy, even. Um, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, boy, hopefully you'll never be in a situation like that. But don't discount it because of who you are. Remember who you worship. And because you worship the king of the universe, you have access to the most information anybody has. And if the Holy Spirit, who's in charge of everything, created everything, built you, made you, and everybody else in the room, and he speaks to your heart, Take it to heart. Open up your mouth and share it, not from your own strength or not from your own stature, but from his. So important. Share it. The gospel is powerful. We're not, but it is. And you'd be amazed at what happens when I, little nerdy JD, opens my mouth and shares something amazing from the heavens. What happens to someone's heart? Nothing to do with us has everything to do with him. We're simply vessels. We're simply vessels. And believe it or not, our piety or false humility, it keeps us from, I'd share the gospel, but I just don't think I'm worthy. That's a grasp at pride, believe it or not. That's an attempt to elevate yourself. No, we should all know that already. <laughs> I'm nothing. I am a court jester basically, but God told me to tell you this. And boldly, boldly. The only reason we don't share is because we don't want to look stupid. And that's pride. That's pride. I don't want to look dumb. That's pride. I'm worried about my image. 
I'm worried about what they're going to think of me. I'm worried about the outcome. <laughs> what if I didn't hear right? I'll look dumb. He uses the foolish things of the world. But you know what? When you do open your mouth, it's amazing. It's amazing when God works through you, when he uses you. And I told you those stories. Not faithful all the time. I'm not faithful all the time. Um, And I'm wrong sometimes. But you know what? I'm right sometimes too. I actually heard from God sometimes. And I actually opened my mouth sometimes. And there was actual fruit sometimes. And those moments are unbelievable. It is supernatural. Absolutely supernatural. And you step back and you are not prideful at all. You step back and you just, you want to get on the ground with your face to the earth saying, whoa, I cannot believe that just happened. And you want to crawl away just because you've been in the presence of the Holy Spirit and he used you. It's amazing. I just, I share that. And I think Paul shares that. Um, because it's such a blessing. That's, that's the blessing of being saved and still here on earth. Because that's the struggle for me. I'm saved, ready to go. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I don't know. I met with, you know, I had a brother on Sunday, just ready to go home to be with the Lord now. He's ready to go now. And to encourage him. Oh, agreed. I think we all are ready to go now, but until we go now, walk in the spirit, be used of God humbly before the Lord and let supernatural things happen. Amazing. It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth being down here on earth for those moments when God uses you. And so keep that in mind as we finish up here. Now, he uses the base things of the world um, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. He's all three of those things for the believer. He is my righteousness. He is the one who sets me apart, and he is the one who brings me home and will complete the transaction. He does all of that for us. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's a great place to be and a great place to leave off tonight. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter to the Corinthians. Um... We receive it. Um, we're, we're glad. Um, glad to be humble in your presence. Glad to be humbled by you and by your word. It's somehow pleasing. When the world does it to us, so when the world humiliates us, when the world makes us look like fools, it isn't so great. But somehow, God, when, you're in, when, you're in, when we are in your presence and your word ministers, serves us that way, it's amazing. We feel better when we're humbled by you. We feel better when we bring you glory and not ourselves. We feel better. And we thank you for your son Jesus who showed us that. Because although he is the king of the universe and creator of all things and God most high in man, in human form, he wrapped himself in a loincloth and served us, washed our feet, died for us, suffered for us, separated himself from you, allowed that to take place, rose again, died a death that we deserved. Uh, so you haven't asked us to do something that you haven't done already. And so God, Lord, help us to truly take up our cross now. 
in humility, um, bring you glory with our walk, with our life, to do supernatural things, to allow your Holy Spirit to truly bring you glory through us and not ourselves. So Lord, we pray for our fellowship, that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit again, that we might have the love that comes from that, that agape love, and then the gifts that accompany that so that we can show that love to one another and to others. And help us then to use those gifts according to our faith to bring you glory and not ourselves. And it'd be amazing to see what you do with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.